Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have given us a faith that is awe-inspiring, that we get to know you, gather together and worship you, and experience you through word and sacrament. May we be ever mindful of this gift. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Morning and please be seated. Last week, for those of you who were with us, remember that we ended in this rather uh, hopeful place where we saw this picture of Christ coming for his bride, the church, in Isaac being comforted by Rebekah. But then the last couple chapters of Genesis, if if you've been reading in between or you're familiar with them, we start to see Isaac's and Rebekah's family, and they make dysfunctional families look highly functional to say the least. Perhaps the biggest thing is the boys, Jacob and Esau, end up fighting over the inheritance. And if you've seen this in the real world, which unfortunately I've seen it both as a clergyman and when I had a secular job, if you've seen fighting over an inheritance amongst family, it's painful and it can be quite ugly and unattractive. You know what this pain might be like, whether you unfortunately have experienced it yourself or someone you love or care about experienced it But this is what we end up with, with Jacob and his brother Esau. They fight and fight and fight. And finally, Jacob steals his brother's inheritance and becomes like the blessed one, if you will. And then he goes off at his father's will to Haran. And this is the first time we've heard about Haran since uh, Abraham was called out of Haran. Up until then, we haven't heard much about Haran. When when Isaac gets his wife, they go back to to the family land, but it's not... Um, mentioned that it's going to Haran. And so there's this sort of interesting thing that happens in Genesis where it's almost a reverse of what's happening in what happened earlier, where, where Jacob goes back to this land, Haran, where Isaac says, go back and find yourself a wife. Because Jacob is really, or Isaac is really concerned that Jacob maintains this purity. Over the last few years, as culture wars become really bizarre and embroiled and uncomfortable, I've seen a lot of friends kind of change and embrace things within the culture. Embrace things within the culture, and then the culture ends up changing them. It never happens the other way around. Never embrace the culture, and then you change the culture. But rather, and so it's, but this, this is a temptation. It's a temptation, whatever you believe about culture. It's a temptation to give into it and hope that the culture might change for the better because of that. But Isaac is so concerned that Jacob maintains his purity because he knows that culture will be changed. The area around him will be changed as long as they are faithful to the Lord. And it's the same for us. If we give in to the culture, we inevitably change, and inevitably we turn away from the Lord. But if we stay faithful to the Lord in this world, if we stay faithful but experience the world around us, Christ through us can change the culture. And so this is what we see as he sends Jacob off, go, go take, a fa- take someone for your wife from my family, which to us is really bizarre, and I, I get that, but we're not going to dwell on that for too long. But he does want to maintain this, this purity, this, this pure fidelity to God. And so this is where we pick up this morning. This is this long journey back to Haran, and they arrive at a certain place. 
if we're reading this for the first time, which I don't know if any of you are, but I've, a lot of us have read the lot, all this before, we, we end up knowing where that certain place is, but we hit it at first and we don't know where this certain place is. It could still be in the promised land. It could be a day's journey out from his family at Beersheba. It could be a day's journey left to Haran. We have no idea where this is. We'll eventually know as we read the story on. But Jacob's been watching, walking along, and it seems like he's alone. He's not bringing much along with him. And he just gets tired. And he's like, well, there's a stone. I'm going to lay down and take a nap, which also sounds really uncomfortable to me. But here we are. And so Jacob lies down and, and takes his sleep for the night. And then during that sleep, he has this wild dream. And he sees what we read as a ladder in our translation. This is probably more of a stairway or a rampway where angels can come up and down, kind of like a normal wide stairway. It's not just like a single rung ladder that you might put up against your house. <clears throat> and we vividly see these angelic patrols. And we read elsewhere in the Old Testament about these angelic patrols, how they come down and wander around on the earth and make sure that things are, are in order and do the will of the Lord. But that's the important thing. As we read this, there's something even more important. At the top of the stairway or the ladder, the Lord is standing over it all. And before he even speaks, we are reminded of God's sovereignty over all of the earth. There is no power above nor below the power of God. The Lord is over all. And so, yes, times can seem hard. Times can seem trying. There will be temptations, as we read about this morning in the epistle lesson. But we have assurance of the Lord's sovereignty over the whole earth. And that can give us great comfort, whatever the days bring. Jesus actually recalls this moment, this opening up where, where Jacob sees the angels coming and going when he calls Nathaniel. Nathaniel is skeptical because Jesus is from Nazareth. We all have a place in our mind that it's kind of an icky place, and we hear somebody's from there, and we make wild assumptions about them. I'll let you fill in the blank on where that place is because at this point our congregation is mixed enough that if I make any sort of comment, somebody's probably from that place. <laughs> But we have that place in our mind, right? Oh, there's nobody can possibly good can come from that place. <clears throat> we might see their license plate and be like, ah. anyway. <laughs> so Nathaniel's like that. He's like, there's no way anybody could could come from, from Nazareth. And yet he meets Jesus and Jesus tells him about seeing him. And he's like, wow, this guy is actually pretty amazing. And Jesus is like, that's not amazing. Eventually you're going to see the same thing that Jacob saw. You're going to see the angels coming and going from heaven. You're going to know that the Lord has authority on earth. And this is the promise to us as Christians, that if we are in Christ, if you are in Christ, you know the authority that Christ has on earth. And we can proceed with faith. But the dream is also interesting. The dream reiterates the promise that was given to Abraham and then given to Isaac. And so it's given to Jacob. And by now, Jacob is probably wondering, am I even good enough for this dream? I stole my brother's inheritance and his blessing and really not treated Esau very well. And we'll see later on, he's actually afraid to see Esau again after being away for a while because who knows what Esau might do to him. 
So he's probably wondering, well, maybe, maybe this promise is no longer for me. Or perhaps even Isaac didn't pass the promise along nearly as well as he was supposed to. But yet God reiterates that promise that I will make you a great nation, a nation as many as the sands of the, of the, the dust of the ground. But then he gives him a promise. He gives him this promise. Behold, I am with you. Behold, I am with you. Christ gives us this promise as well. But it's interesting. Where God is going to bring Jacob back to the promised land, Christ, as he gives us this promise, says, Go. Go and make disciples and baptize. Where God brings Jacob back to the promised land, he says, Go out and tell everybody about the goodness to you and I. And so you and I are called to plant and to seed and to water the garden. But God gives the growth even in this. God brings Jacob back eventually, as we all know. And just the same, he can be trusted that he will build his church. He will grow you and strengthen you, and he will use the seeds which you plant in those people that you tell about the gospel. He will encourage people through you as you share with them the good things that the Lord is doing in you. And after this, Jacob wakes up. He finds that God has visited him, despite the fact he probably doesn't feel very worthy of that visitation. And he realizes this is an awesome place. This is an amazing place. But first we realize that God visits Jacob, not because Jacob has been this stellar, upstanding citizen that represents God really well in in the kingdom, but rather he visits him because he is faithful to his people. What we see in this passage is the depth and breadth of God's sheer grace. The same grace that brought you and I here this morning. The same grace that encouraged us to wake up, to make the effort to come to church and to worship him. And then Jacob thinks, what an awesome place this is. He says, this is an awesome place, but For us, awesome is a really overused word, and I'm kind of annoyed that they actually use this word to translate what's going on here, because we often think of it as something like food, like, man, this hot dog is awesome, or man, that movie was really awesome. But what this means here isn't really neat or really good or whatever we might mean by awesome when we describe something in the world. It means something deeper. Before I left Maine, I lived on this island, and I was pretty close to the seashore, so when it stormed, I liked to go out and watch the wave just crash against the shores. And if you've experienced this or at least seen a picture, if you've been in Arizona your whole life, maybe you don't know exactly what I'm talking about, but you've probably seen the power of water, right? And I, I, you know, every summer there would be people that would just be really dumb about water because it just seemed so safe and then they'd be washed out and sometimes they'd be rescued and sometimes not and even I I have friends that went on to to work on the water and and some of them have since died because of the power of water we forget that but when we see it crash up against the rocks there's something deep and visceral there's something beautiful and strong but hopefully if you have some common sense within you something terrifying about it as well. This is what this word awesome 
is getting at. It's the same word. In fact, it's the same word in that verse that says Jacob was afraid, but it's a different part of speech, but it's the same exact word. Jacob was afraid, and then he was fearful, basically. So it's the same word that is used to describe the fear of God, the fear that people have when they realize they're in the presence of the Lord and they tremble within. It's also the same word that God says, yeah, it's okay to be trembling in front of me. Don't be afraid of that other thing. Don't worry, I am with you. And so awesome is probably still best, the best word that we have, even if we often describe a burger as that or whatever we use the word awesome for. But we have to understand that it describes something, the experience is something that makes Jacob tremble. Something that moves him so deeply that there's an awe and a reverence under him. And we forget that when we experience God, that we are experiencing this same awesomeness. When you enter this place, this place that we've set aside for one task, to worship the Lord, you are entering an awesome, awe-filled place. When you open the Bible and read God's word, you are reading something awesome. When you pray, you're putting your petitions before the foot feet of the Lord, and he hears you and cares about you. You are experiencing something awesome. When you come to the Lord's table and partake in his bread and his wine and experiencing, experience Christ mystically and spiritually in some deep sense that we don't fully understand, you experience something awesome. We so often forget the incredible power of God. We so often forget how awe-inspiring he is when we come before him. And yet in his grace, he came to Jacob. And in his grace, he comes to us. He changes us and allows us to experience this amazing thing. And so Jacob calls this place Bethel, which means house of God. And he also says that this is the gate of heaven. And this is really interesting. We don't hear much about gates for now in Genesis But there's another gate that we kind of glaze over because it's embedded in the name of the place, just as house of God is embedded in Bethel. We've heard of the word Bethel, and we think, oh, that's a place. This other place is Babel. Babel quite literally means the gate of God. And it's interesting, if you read, the more I read about Babel, the more fascinating I find it. And I I learned this past week that the Jewish Midrash actually talked about them building Babel up and up and up and up so that they could finally get to the firmament, so to, to, to the top of the sky. They didn't have our understanding of the sky as it is now, but they tried to build up so they could get to that, that very tippy top so they could crack through and find out what was on the other side. And then we look at what we see tonight, or this morning, rather. I don't know where I got night. We look at what we see this morning, this morning and it's the opposite of that, right? So we have the people trying their, in their own power to get to God. And that doesn't work, and God says, that's not how this works. But here, God comes to Jacob. Like our gracious acceptance into the kingdom of heaven, 
He, he doesn't depend on Jacob building a staircase. It doesn't depend on Jacob doing anything except seeing that God is coming to him. How amazing is that? And so after Jacob has this amazing moment of awe and trembling, he takes the stone that he was sleeping on and makes it into a monument. Now, monuments are important, and we have mixed relationships with monuments, of course, but they're important because they help us remember. For his sake, he built the monument so that he would remember to worship the Lord, that he would make this place God's house, and that whatever God gave him, he would give a tenth back. For us, we put monuments downtown so we remember those sacrifices people made in wars, so we remember the history of our community. Downtown, there's a, there's a monument to sheriffs and, and that have lost their lives in protecting people. It reminds us that there are people that do these things for us. But our church, our worship, and all that we do as Christians is a monument in and of itself as well. Our church, this, this little area, our building here, is set aside for one purpose. We don't have social hour in here. We don't have anything other than worship the Lord. So when you enter this place, you're reminded that you are here to worship God. That's it. We set this time aside in the week to come together and worship God. You know, you might have gotten a call this morning and somebody said, like, let's go get brunch or let's go golfing. And you said, no, no. I'm going to go worship the Lord because this time was set aside for that one purpose. I can meet you after. We can do it Monday or Tuesday. But having that time set aside reminds us how important worshiping the Lord is. And the liturgy and the Christian year act the same way. We say the creed over and over and over again because it reminds us of the truth of three persons in unity in the Godhead. It reminds us of the truth of Christ becoming man and dwelling among us. And likewise, the church year reminds us of his life and keeps us in that truth. It keeps us remembering. Remember. Remember, remember. And so like Jacob sets up this monument to remember, we have these little monuments in our lives to remember the goodness of God's grace that has brought us into his awe-inspiring presence. We are reminded when we worship of this goodness. We're reminded that we, that you and I, may ever remember and live in his reverence and joy. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.